Well, let's turn in our Bibles now to the sermon this morning, which is from Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The title of this sermon is The Promise of the Father. The Promise of the Father. Many of us find ourselves at times sinking into hopelessness and drifting into purposelessness. We're running for a finish line that does not exist, or at least we can't seem to find it anymore. We find ourselves asking, why are we doing what we're doing? And at times, if we're honest, admitting we don't really want to be doing what we're doing. We seem to have lost our will and our way just a bit. We need help. And then God enters into our world this morning. He's speaking this morning through his word. And what does he speak? He speaks his will and his way that we might find a will and a way when we have seemed to have lost it. And he does this by revealing his promise and his purpose. And and really that's the theme this morning. God's promise and God's purpose. God's promise, folks, it gives us hope and a will to keep going. And God's purpose shows us the way we are to go. So let's open our Bibles to Acts 1, 3 through 5, to discover God's promise and God's purpose. Listen, God has a purpose in history, and he has a purpose in your life. God is working in redemptive history, and he is working in your history. The key is to locate your story in his story. Redemptive history. And to do that, let's read Acts 1, 3 through 5. He, speaking of Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them, and the them being his apostles, his disciples, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open my mouth to speak your word faithfully, and I pray that you would open the ears of those who are listening to listen faithfully, and I pray that together, Lord, you would build us into your church, your people. You would give us hope, Lord. Those who have lost hope this morning would find hope in this promise that you have given us, and those who have lost their way would find their way in the purpose for which you came, Lord. Speak to us as your people through the resurrected Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in this text, we see the resurrected Lord Jesus commands his apostles to wait, to wait for the promise, not just any promise, but the promise of the Father. See, this promise is key. It was key to them for their hope as Jews for the restoration of Israel. And it's the key for the hope of our personal restoration today. You see, God is restoring his people through the transforming work of the Spirit. And this is what gives us hope, friends. Jesus appeared to his disciples, first of all, to prove that he was, in fact, raised from the dead. He was alive. Luke is a historian. 
And he documents these appearances to assure us all that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's not just something we say on Easter morning. We say that every day. For it's true. And it's the risen Lord Jesus who speaks to his followers and calls them to wait for the promise of the Father. Remember, Corey directed our attention back to Luke, who is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Remember Luke 24, 49? Luke 24, 49, he gives this commandment. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then Luke repeats this very important promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Look at your text. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Listen, when things are repeated twice in Scripture, it's for a reason. It's very, very important. This promise, this promise of the Father, is what we must understand this morning. It is the subject of the text. It is the main point and God's burden for us today. It's what God is speaking to you and me today, right now. It's what the risen Lord Jesus not only taught 2,000 years ago, but is teaching today, this morning, for he continues to speak through his church, through his word, through his ministers. So folks, let's lean in. Let's pay attention and let's listen. So point number one, God's promise. God's promise. What is God's promise? Well, the text tells us it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This is the promise of God. But, but we have to understand something about this promise because we are not Jews and we do not have the background that these men would have had. And so we have to ask ourselves a few questions about the promise. When was this promise made? To whom was this promise made? Why was this promise made? And how was this promise fulfilled? So when was this promise made? Folks, this promise was made at the very beginning of time. It was made right after the fall. It began in Genesis 3.15 when God said, I will bring forth a savior from the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It was made in Genesis 12 when God called Abraham and constituted his people, Israel, the Hebrew people from Abraham, and he promised Abraham that he, Abraham, would be a blessing to all the nations. Did you know that Galatians 3, commenting on Genesis 12, that promise to Abraham, says that God actually preached the gospel to Abraham? In fact, this would be a nice study for you to do this week. Take Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham, verses 1 to 3, and take Galatians 3, the whole chapter, and read them together and see how Galatians 3 tells us that God gave the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. And see how it was fulfilled in Christ. So we see, when was it made? It was made in Genesis, or what here would be termed the law of Moses. It was made in the Psalms, in the Messianic Psalms that speak of Jesus as our good shepherd, that speak of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And it was made in the prophets. When was the promise made? It was made to, to men like Ezekiel, men like Joel. As a matter of fact, Joel 2 We will be treating Joel 2 in a couple of weeks when we preach from Acts 2. 
And it was made to prophets like Isaiah. Like Isaiah, who wrote probably 600 years before Christ, who wrote during a season in Israel's life when Israel was desolate. They were about to be taken into captivity in Babylon. The country was about to be destroyed. The temple itself will be destroyed. And in the midst of this desolation, in the midst of this degradation of God's people, the promise comes. In fact, Acts 1-4 is most probably referring to Isaiah 32, verse 15. Isaiah 32, 15 says the following, Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a a forest. The promise is given to the prophets. We read about the promise in the Law of Moses, in the Psalms, and in the prophets. Now, Second, to whom was the promise made? Well, as I just referred to you, Isaiah 32, it was made to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And it was made to his people in the New Testament, the church, these apostles who are listening to the promise. It's made to us. We're listening today. God's people, Old Testament, New Testament. That's to whom the promise was made. And why? Why was the promise given? Here's why. Because God's people are in need of restoration. As it says in Isaiah 32, 15, the spirit will be poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a force. These are metaphorical ways of saying, I'm going to restore the land. I'm going to restore your life. I'm going to bring fruitfulness to you. Alan Thompson in his wonderful book on on Acts says the following. The pouring out of the Spirit from on high in Isaiah 32 brings Judah's desolation. Remember, they were about to be taken into captivity. They were under siege. The land was not producing. The people were rebelling against God. It looked very badly for God's people. So in the midst of this desolation, Isaiah 32 brings Judah's desolation to an end and also brings the arrival of the new age of righteousness and peace. God's promise was given because God's people had lost their will and they'd lost their way. They'd lost their will and they'd lost their way. They'd forgotten the promise of God. They drifted from the way of God. And maybe some of you this morning come here and you've lost your will. You've lost your way a little bit. You've drifted from the purposes of God in your life. The promise of God comes and gives us hope that our wills would be strengthened. And it shows us the way. God's purposes. The pouring out of the Spirit from on high, fulfilled in Acts, brings your desolation to an end, friend. It brings mine to an end. It brings the arrival of this new age of righteousness. This new age of righteousness, the Jews would have understood that as the Messianic age. It's it's, it's Christ. It's what he brought We understand it as the kingdom of God, God's life coming into our wrecked, messed up, dead lives and giving us life, hope, a will to live for God, new righteousness, peace in our lives so that the purposes of God would be fulfilled through the spirit. See, it's always been God's intention, always been God's intention to renew his people and his relationship with them through the gift of the spirit in the end time, in the messianic age, today, God's spirit is poured out on Christ's followers, that's us, to transform us, 
to restore us, to change us, that we might look like Jesus and then we might reflect him and represent him to the world. That is why it was given. The promise is our hope for this transformation, friend. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, it doesn't work. I'm ready to give up on God. I haven't changed. My life hasn't changed. I'm still sick. I'm still in sin. I'm still lying. I'm still lusting. I'm still doing things I know I shouldn't do. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to back out of this thing. No, don't. Because God's promise is real. It's the Spirit of God that gives you hope, steals your will to keep going. It's the kind of promise that looks to the Father. It's a precious promise, a sin-defeating promise, a gospel-declaring promise, a forward-looking promise into what God has for us. And may this promise, this hope, lift your hearts this morning, friends. May this hope lift you from that sinking feeling of hopelessness. For this promise, this hope, defeats all hopelessness. And fourthly, how was the promise fulfilled? How was it fulfilled? It was fulfilled by the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the last one, the ascension. At this point in Acts 1, we've seen Jesus' life, we've seen his death, and we've seen his resurrection. But there's one more thing that has to happen before the promise can be fulfilled. He must ascend. And this is the reason, this is why he tells them in verse 4 of Acts 1 to wait. The risen Lord Jesus commands his apostles to wait for the promise because he hadn't ascended yet. It would be 10 more days until he ascended. It would be 10 more days until the spirit was given. He was about to ascend. And he commanded them to wait in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because it's the focal point of God's promises through the ages. It's the place where David's rule, which represents Christ's rule, would be restored. It's the place where Christ accomplished his redemptive work. Wait. He says, until the risen Lord Jesus ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus reminds them that he told them. Look at verse 5. He reminds them and he told them about this promise. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, they were clueless at this point. They were thinking the promise was to restore the political kingdom. We'll see that next week when I preach from Acts 1-6. They did not understand that the promise was the very Spirit of God would come and live in them and restore their broken lives and give them hope to their hopeless lives. You see, what Jesus is referring to here is what is written in Matthew 3-11. And it speaks about John baptizing people at the River Jordan and he's baptizing them with the baptism of repentance. He's saying, repent of your sins. Confess your sins. See, those baptized with John's baptism of water for the repentance of sins would then be baptized by the ascended Lord Jesus with the Spirit. The baptism in the Spirit, friends, refers to the activity of the Spirit at our conversion. There, at our conversion, the Spirit gave us spiritual life, what is called regeneration. We were dead, he made us alive. He adopted us, the Spirit of adoption. He set us free from the slavery of sin and death. The Spirit sealed us there in Christ forever. And he baptized us into the body of Christ, our new family. Every true believer is baptized in the Spirit at his conversion. 
There he is indwelt by the Spirit who brings the restoring work of Christ to us and enables us to fulfill God's purpose on earth. Listen, friends, the promise, the promise comes because the king has come. The king has come. The king has come and he's reigning. That's why the promise comes. It's the Lord Jesus in his continuing reign. And all who come to him in repentance and faith, who are truly God's people, and who will truly receive the promised blessing of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Listen, the promise that Jesus, the reigning, resurrected, ascended Lord of all, brings to us, that promise brings us hope, guys. That's what I want you to see this morning. This promise answers the great question, why am I doing what I am doing? And it points to God's purpose which is point two, God's purpose. We must read Acts as the continuation of God's saving work. It was begun in the Old Testament. It was fulfilled in the New Testament. Luke wants us to read along historical lines from the Old Testament to the Gospel of Luke and then on to the book of Acts to see the outworking of God's saving plan. As Corey said last week, Jesus' death and resurrection is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. Because God's plan, God's saving purpose, what is here called the kingdom of God, is what God is doing. You've got to remember, you have the risen Lord Jesus. Okay, don't go bad that too quickly. The risen Lord Jesus. I have never seen someone who's been risen from the dead, okay? I just haven't. But can you imagine? You watch someone die a horrible death, and the risen Lord Jesus is seated teaching you. I mean, just that right there has got to be freaking you out. I saw you die, but you're alive. He he, he appeared to over 500 witnesses, folks, during 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. So the risen Lord Jesus is now teaching them. He who was dead is now alive. This message is alive. He is alive. And what does he teach them, guys? He teaches them the kingdom of God. That's what it says there. In verse 3, look at that with me. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now let's go back to Luke 24 for a second. Corey read this last week. Let's just remind ourselves about this. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Can you imagine being in that class? I mean, many of you are going off to school this week. Can you imagine taking a course this fall semester of your freshman year at the University of Florida? The kingdom of God. Who's going to be teaching me? Jesus Christ, the king. Wow. That's quite a class. That's the class he taught for 40 days. Class was in session for 40 days. Every day he would be teaching them. He would be instructing them. What's he teaching them? He's preaching to them the gospel from the Old Testament. Can you? That's what Jesus did. He went to the law of Moses. He went to Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. He went all through the law of Moses. He went to the Psalms. He went to the prophets. And he just verse by verse taught about himself to his disciples for 40 days. He opened their minds. That's what it says in Acts 1-3. 
Luke 24, 44 to 47. But listen, that class isn't over. It's an ongoing class. He's still teaching today. He's teaching you right now. So wake up and listen. Pay attention. Lean forward. (laughs) He's good. He's powerful. The king is teaching you. He's doing it through a very imperfect servant. But he's teaching you. He still speaks today. Acts. The acts of the risen Lord Jesus. What he does, what he says. He's speaking right now. I love this quote from Peterson. In the light of Luke 24, 44 to 47, and Acts 1, 3, Jesus was showing the apostles how to proclaim the kingdom appropriately. He's teaching them how to preach the gospel from the Old Testament. In light of the things which have been accomplished among us. I could just see, like, going along with him. Like, you know, yes, yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday, Mexico beat Brazil in soccer in the Olympics. And I can just imagine some of the Mexican players today talking about, remember that play? Remember when we kicked that? Remember we were kind of getting the ball down the field? And he was describing all the great plays. Or if the U.S., I don't know if they're winning right now, but if they win the gold medal, you kind of go back over how your team won this wonderful uh, game. But Jesus is going over his life, and he said, remember when I said that? It meant this. Remember when I did that? That's what Isaiah was talking about. Ah. Remember when, when, when Moses and Elijah came down on that mountain train? Yeah, that's what this was about. And he's teaching them. They're going, wow, the kingdom of God. You are fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures now in the new. The kingdom has come. The king is here. He teaches his apostles the content of God's saving plan from the Old Testament. The message of the kingdom of God. The salvation already accomplished by Christ and available to be received in the present. Folks, that's why we have it today. Because they paid attention. They opened their eyes. The Spirit of God helped them understand it. This message, this message of the kingdom of God, this gospel message, folks, this, this purpose of God, God's purpose, it's the context for the book of Acts. The entire book of Acts is framed by this message of the kingdom of God. Look in your Bibles at Acts 1-3. Again, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Look at Acts 1-6. I'll be preaching that next week. So when they had come together, they asked him. Now, they didn't quite get it yet. Hey, Lord, is it now that you're going to kick the Romans out and take over politically? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Come next week to hear his answer. Flip to the last chapter of the book of Acts. I want to hear those pages rustling, please. Acts 28. Pay attention, man. Class is in session. It's not me speaking. It is the Lord Jesus. The risen Lord Jesus is speaking to you this morning. Shows you how great he is. He can use a vessel like me. Acts 28, 23. Now this is speaking of Paul sitting in a prison in Rome. When they had appointed a day for him, so they, uh, those people coming to visit him, appointed a day for him, Paul, they came to bring him to his lo- bring, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. These are probably Jewish people, maybe some believers, maybe some Pharisees, just people that want to know what is going on, why are you in prison, what is a sect called Christianity all about? From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to them what? Testifying to what? The kingdom of God 
Now watch this. And trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Paul's doing the same thing Jesus did. He's opening up their minds and their hearts and trusting the Spirit of God to say, listen, this is true. Pay attention. This is what you need to know. This is life. This is the promise. This is God restoring you. This is why you're here this morning, to learn. And God's going to teach you, and he is teaching you. And then look at verse 31, Acts 28, 31. Speaking now of Paul, the last verse of this book, proclaiming, speaking of Paul now, Paul, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God forms a framework for the book of Acts. You cannot understand nor interpret the book of Acts without understanding or interpreting the kingdom of God. And in the same way, you cannot understand or interpret your life without understanding and interpreting the kingdom of God, his salvific message in Christ, his saving plan, rolling through the ages from the beginning of time to the day that time ends when Jesus returns. Oh, this final note sounded in Acts is the bold proclamation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, God's saving plan, listen, was inaugurated with the coming of the king, Jesus. Jesus came announcing the kingdom of God. Let's, let's follow what he said. When he, he inaugurates the kingdom with his coming, look what he says in Luke. Let's go, I'm going to put these on the screen for you. Luke four forty three. But he, Jesus, said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Luke 8.1. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. They're just kind of walking around. I'm sure it was like he was explaining what he was saying to them after his resurrection. He was explaining all these instances to them. Luke 9.2, and he sent them out. Now, this is speaking of the disciples. And he, Jesus, sent them, the disciples, out to proclaim what? The kingdom of God and heal. Luke 9, 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him, Jesus, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of what? The kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Luke 10, 9, and this is Jesus sending out his disciples. He tells them, heal the sick in it, whatever city you go to, and say to them what? The kingdom of God has come near to you. Luke eleven twenty, but he's responding to Pharisees who said that he's casting out demons by demons. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. Since then, do you see this shift? Something's been inaugurated. Something new has happened. The king has come, and he's inaugurating the kingdom. He's proclaiming the kingdom. The kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. And Luke 17, 20 to 21, being asked by the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God would come, you see, they're still thinking a political kingdom. And it was dangerous to talk about instituting a political kingdom when you are taken over by a conquering nation. Hence, Rome is ruling over you. And they're saying, hey, go ahead and get in trouble, Jesus. When are you going to overthrow Rome and become the new political ruler? And he answered them, oh, friends, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Oh, they knew what he was saying. That's why they wanted to kill him. You see, Peterson gives us insight into that, or Thompson does. The striking element of Jesus' teaching in the Gospels is that he did not just announce a future kingdom. No, he announced the present arrival of that kingdom in his own ministry. And he's here today. 
The king is here. And he's teaching you. Christ came the first time to inaugurate his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the saving plan of God, and he will return a second time to consummate it. Here's the problem. We live in the in-between time. We live in the in-between time. We live in what we've dubbed thus far the already, not yet. You got it. The already, not yet. Yeah, I know what that means, Al. That means when my life is really, really going badly. That must be the not yet part, right? Yes. And the already part is the fact that Jesus is the king and he's come and he's promised to come again and the kingdom has been inaugurated. It just hasn't been consummated yet. So we live between the already, the inauguration of the kingdom, the first coming of Christ, and the, the, the not yet, and the, the already and then the not yet Whoops. The consummation of the kingdom when he returns a second time. It's hard living in this time. Show me your kingdom, Jesus. Where is this kingdom? By the way, where are all your subjects, Jesus? If you're the king, why do only roughly 1% to 2% of the people in Miami even darken a church door? Where's your kingdom, Jesus? I'm sick, and I've been sick for a long time, and I know sickness isn't part of your kingdom. Where's your kingdom, Jesus? The unrighteous seem to be gaining control. Where's your kingdom? How do we live between this this inauguration and this consummation? How do we live in the already, not yet? Help me understand this, Jesus. Why is there such opposition to the church, Jesus? If you're a king, why don't you give us a building to meet in, Jesus? Why do we have to meet in this auditorium? Why is there such opposition, Jesus? If you're the king, why don't you just blast all your enemies? I was was at home last Wednesday night and just having some dinner before going to home group, and I I flipped on the TV and I, I saw a news report. And it stunned me. It, it, it was a news report about uh, probably a Haitian-American or African-American pastor who pastors a church, by the way, in North Miami that meets at North Miami Senior High School, which is the high school that I attended when I was in high school last century. <laughs> and how this guy is getting in trouble, possibly, with the school board, and how the school board is going to review their entire policy to let churches meet in schools. You know why? Because this guy, this guy is teaching what the Bible says about homosexuality. He didn't seem like a raving lunatic. He was teaching. He had an overhead. He was teaching. And he was about to debate that night, last Wednesday night, with a councilman in Miami who's a homosexual. And they were going to debate what the Bible says about marriage. I mean, we all know what the whole Chick-fil-A thing and all that's happened recently. This is, this is a very hot topic. And it just, it just sent a little chill through my, you know, my body, like... Well, well, first of all, because it affects me, I perked up. Well, the school board's going to review their policy. Whoa, okay, Corey, let's start looking for a new place to meet. So you, you can ask, so where's your kingdom, Lord? I don't get it. Well, all of these questions are going to be asked, answered in the book of Acts. 
This next year, we're going to answer these questions, and we're going to answer them. But I want you to know something right now this morning. The key aspect for all of this is the following. Jesus is the king, and he has come to inaugurate his kingdom, and we must connect the kingship of Jesus Christ with the kingdom of God. Is he king of your life? I mean, if I were to ask you, okay, so what does the kingdom look like? What does the kingdom look like between the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom? Here's what it looks like. You ready? Look around you. Do it. Let's look around you. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. It's the people that are under the king's restoring reign. Remember what he said to the Pharisees? You can't observe it. You're trying to talk about something that's political. It's not. The kingdom of God. Oh, dear friends, the kingdom of God is the rule, the restorative rule of Jesus in the hearts of men. Yes, it is manifest. Yes, we must do good works. Yes, God will one day renew this earth and we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. But the kingdom of God, look around. You want to see the kingdom of God? Listen, I I could have showed it to you. I, I had a great example for you. Last Wednesday night. I saw the kingdom of God in Miami Lakes. Had nothing to do with buildings. I watched the kingdom of God as as Sergio led us in home group, and it was a night of prayer. And as I sat next to my friend, Adele, I was standing behind him as he was praying. And, um, I mean, mean, quite honestly, I was dog-tired last Wednesday. I've been traveling a lot, and I I was standing and walking to pray because I was falling asleep when I was seated. That's pretty. Oh, it's a glorious kingdom. Wow, Al, that's a real glorious kingdom. No, I'm just a, a fallen human being, but the king was there. And as I sat next to my friend Adele Brito, and, and as, I, as I listened to this man's prayer, a man who would tell you that he's lived a very, very rough life. I mean, if you looked at Adele, you would be initially a little intimidated. He's got the tattoos going. He's just got sort of that look he can put on. He knows I love him, and I asked permission to do this before the sermon. But I, I listened to this tough, rough guy pray over his sons, one of whom was seated next to him, and weep over his sons, and thank God for his sons, and thank God for his family. And he prayed a long prayer. It wasn't one of those little prayers, like scripted prayers. He was pouring his heart out to the king. I saw the kingdom of God because I saw a man whose lives was ruled by the restorative reign of Jesus. That's the kingdom. You, you want to see the kingdom of God? I'll show you the kingdom of God. It was here yesterday, right here at this school. No, we didn't have church yesterday. The kingdom of God was here yesterday when the small community of believers at Palm Vista, who who don't, don't, we don't want to just meet with one another and just kind of, you know, us four and no more and look at each other and make each other feel good and, you know, all that stuff on a Wednesday night. No, no, that small community was now in the larger community of of, of Miami Lakes and, and this middle school. And I saw the youth and Marcos and David and others, I don't know, all who were here. And I drove by and I saw them. They were serving this school. They were painting walls. They were working outside. All morning long, they dedicated themselves to serving the school. Why in the world would teenagers do that on a Saturday morning, starting at 8 in the morning? Because they are under the restorative reign of the risen Savior, Jesus, the King. There's the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom has come, friends. Because Jesus has come. And the kingdom has come to our hearts and our homes and our church and our community. Has it come to your life? Has it come to your life? If so, then you will never lose your way nor your will to follow the King through the promise of the Spirit as He fulfills His purpose in you and in us as a church. See, this is what God wants you to know this morning. God is continuing to accomplish His purposes in history and in your life, even now through the Spirit whom the risen and ascended and reigning Lord Jesus has sent to us. Our hope is because Jesus reigns. We will be enabled by the Holy Spirit to serve Him and reflect His character. We'll be able to take his word out to the world around us, even amidst opposition. And local churches would be established and built and strengthened because of the apostolic message of the kingdom of God, of Jesus. See, unlike the apostles in Acts 1, we live on the other side of this promise. The spirit has been given. The promise has been fulfilled. There's no more waiting. The promised Holy Spirit is here with us this morning, guys. He strengthens our will and he shows us the way. He's the one who teaches us how to live in these end times between the already and the not yet. See, see, this is, I think, the takeaway here. God's promise gives us hope. And God's purpose shows us the way. God's promise, the Spirit, gives us hope. And God's purpose, His kingdom, His message in Christ, shows us the way. Friend, have, have, have you lost hope? Are you here this morning saying it doesn't work? The Spirit of God is here to tell you it does. There's a promise that's been fulfilled. This promise lifts you out of the sinking hopelessness of a life lived on your own power. Have you lost your way? Have you you drifted a little bit from the purposes of God? Jesus, by His Spirit, can bring you back. I was with Ruben Fonseca, my good friend in Cuba, and he was just saying, you know, if you just drift one degree, but you keep going on that path, soon you'll find yourself miles away from where you should be. Jesus brings you back to the path with the kingdom message. If you've lost your way, if you've drifted from God's purpose, then cry out for God the Father to fill you afresh with his spirit. Ask him to reveal his love, his purposes, and his power this morning. And we're going to cry out to him in just a moment corporately. We're going to use a song, the song that we sang, When You Move, as our corporate prayer. But you know, some of you, some of you may need to come down for ministry when we do that. First of all, some of you are not in the kingdom, and you are in darkness, and you are dead, and you may not even know it, but God may be giving you life right now. And if you are, listen to me, the king is speaking to you. Repent and believe. That's the message of the kingdom. And if that's you, I challenge you this morning. You make a step of repentance. If you're with a friend, you grab them. You speak to them. You respond to the kingdom. But I I suspect that most of us, it's just that we've drifted a little bit. We've sunk a little bit into hopelessness. We've lost our will a little bit. We've become passive a little bit. We've drifted a little bit. Oh, friend, God is here by his spirit to speak to you, to give you hope, and to give you the way. And some of you need to come up for prayer for that. Not all, but some. And to that end, just in a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to ask the home group leaders to come up. And they're here to pray. They're here to help you. These these are folks 
that, that are filled with the Spirit of God, God's people who want to be Jesus' hands and mouth to you this morning. So let's pray. Worship team, if you'll join me up to Father, I pray in Jesus' name, in the name of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the inaugurator of the kingdom of God, your saving message, Jesus Christ, who's defeated sin and death and Hades and the devil and every work of darkness, Jesus who came and healed, Jesus who came and delivered. Oh, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would pour out afresh and anew your spirit upon your people. Oh, when you move, everything changes. We ask you to move in our lives. Lord, we ask you to build your church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's the very thing you said you would do and are doing. Lord, sometimes we're weak. We don't see the kingdom. We lose hope. We get cynical. We ask, where is it? Where is it? I don't see it. This thing doesn't work. Oh, God, come and speak a fresh word into our hearts by your spirit. Lord, save sanctify, deliver, encourage, build up your people, I pray. Oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Home group leaders, would you please come up? As we sing this song, please, please avail yourselves of this time of ministry. Please, don't be bashful. Run to the Savior. We're here to pray for you. As, as ministry is going on down here in front, I just want to highlight a couple of things about this song. Verse 1, if you would put that up there. We're, we're asking for the Father to reveal his love this morning. That's been poured out on Calvary like a flood. That his spirit would move and shine the light of the gospel, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and that he would change your hearts you've been wrestling with some areas where it's a stubborn areas of change just cry out to god to fill your minds with the radiance of christ and then the chorus our hope is that when god moves our lives are changed and we know a taste of heaven do you see that that already not yet it's not consummated but we can have a taste of it so let's sing this song we're going to keep praying until everybody's been prayed for here this morning if you're a guest, I would love to say hi to you. When we're done praying, I'm going to go out these doors. Maybe a few minutes, but I, I'd ask you to wait if you can. I'd love to say a quick hi to you. All right, th- thanks. Let's, let's sing that song again.